0: Welcome to Influencer Marketing Talks, a podcast brought to you by Cure Media, the leading and award-winning influencer marketing company for fashion, home and beauty brands. This is your weekly podcast to learn more about consumer behavior in a digital age. And of course, all things influencer marketing in right around 15 minutes. This episode is something really extra. It's our 100th episode. And to celebrate this, we have Professor Byron Sharp in the studio. The influential professor, thought leader, and author of the legendary book, How Brands Grow. Byron is also the director of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute of Marketing Science, which is the world's largest center for marketing research. I'm really curious to hear what has changed in marketing since Byron released his book more than 10 years ago, and what implications his theories have for marketers today. We also talk about why always-on marketing remains critical to drive growth and why there isn't such a thing as a rule of thumb ratio when it comes to balancing branding and performance marketing activities. And of course, I ask Byron about his view on influencer marketing. From an early morning in Stockholm, Sweden, to a late afternoon in Adelaide, Australia, Byron Sharp, big welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yes, guess it is quite magic, isn't it, to be talking on the other side of the planet?
0: Yeah, it feels weird. It's so light in your room, and I'm sitting here in the darkness. <laughs> so I'm sure there are not so many people listening that don't know about you, but just for the benefit of anyone out there that hasn't come across you yet... Could you just give an introduction to yourself and the Ehrenberg-Bass Institute?
1: Sure. Uh, My name is Byron Sharp, and I'm Professor of Marketing Science at the University of South Australia, where I direct uh, a big research institute, the Ehrenberg-Bass Institute. And we study marketing. We are the home of evidence-based marketing. We study buying and selling, a bit like a medical research institute, very like a medical institute, I think. and I guess we're famous for some of the books that we've written um, that for the first time present scientific laws to the world. Um, you know, not the not shalt laws, but um, regular patterns that keep repeating in the real world that tell us what an interesting and weird place the real world is, but start to give us some, some control and some prediction, which is very new for marketing and, and very exciting.
0: For sure. And... One of these books that you mentioned is How Brands Grow, and in this book, you state that one of the key drivers to brand growth is to have mental and physical availability. Shortly, what is this all about, and what would you say are the implications for marketers today?
1: Okay, yeah, that, that is the surprise. I'm writing about it now. I've been asked by a journal to write an article on brand competition and how... Perfect this upended uh, the sort of old view of brand competition, which was all about segmentation, targeting, positioning uh, yeah, it's the surprising finding that brands largely compete in terms of their availability for buyers. big brands who have lots more customers bought much more often are much more available for people, and that is the primary driver and and everything we do in marketing is about building. These assets that, that determine availability and the, the the mental availability that people know about our brand in their heads. And it comes to mind sometimes when they're about to buy the product category, uh, hopefully, hopefully more often than not. And, and what we call physical availability, although I'm increasingly calling it purchase availability because uh, some people... A bit embarrassing actually for marketing. Some people lack the imagination to understand that physical availability can mean things like having an app on your phone.
0: Mm. Yeah, in these days, this has changed. I mean, in 2010, when you wrote the book or the first edition of the book, there weren't such things as, or there were, but social there were. media <laughs> and open marketing, and it has happened so much lately, and it happens yeah. new things every week right now. Yeah. So, it, yeah, What what is... It how doesn't does really
1: change. I mean, you know, physical availability in the past also meant things like that you had a phone number in the same way that you have a, an app or a website. Yeah. It, it doesn't really change it. And, um, no, I mean, the book doesn't talk about specific media and things like that. It's about the fundamentals of how consumers buy and how brands compete and... You know, the fact that we drive in cars rather than horse and cart doesn't, doesn't change those fundamentals. Right? Just new forms. Buy stuff.
0: So the name of the book is How Brands Grow, What Marketers Don't Know. Provocative subtitle. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I, I love that. And has this changed, do you think, if you were to mention What Marketers Don't Know? Is it the same thing as when you released the book or is it something completely new now?
1: Um, well, on a, on a positive note, a lot of people have read the book, or at least a lot of people know of the book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so certainly, marketers' knowledge has, in, has definitely uh, has increased, but not everyone no. And so, um, and and old habits can be quite hard to change. I always joke to people that it took doctors a hundred years to start washing their hands, and um, it's not uh, sadly that is actually true. <laughs> so. We shouldn't expect marketing to change overnight. But, yes, marketers do know a lot more. It's very different from when, when I started as an undergraduate student at, at, at university. I mean, uh, we had none of this knowledge in marketing. Um, we certainly weren't taught it. Uh, so mm. it's very exciting. I, I look at, you know, we've, we've just hired some new marketing scientists who've come up through the degree, and, you know, they know 100 times more than I ever knew coming out of my uh, university degree. It's fabulous.
0: Right, yeah, there's so much info Available today, I guess.
1: Well, there's some good books.
0: (laughs) Yeah, there are, for sure. Not to mention any names, but we have already done that. (laughs) So in your book, you also talk about the importance of marketing your brand to be memorable, not necessarily unique, and that you need to advertise regularly and over time to create these brand memories. Why would you say that always-on advertising is so critical to drive growth?
1: okay um yes so the pre in in previous in fact i'm reading some modern textbooks at the moment they say that the purpose of branding is to make convince people actually convince people that your brand is superior in some way and there must be a meaningful difference and yet when we look at, at actually i mean anyone can actually look and see that there isn't actually that much difference between an awful lot of brands uh and that people aren't when we do, when we when we look at people's memories, we see that they don't terribly see their brands as as different. Um, they have, uh, I am sure, your bank is just as good as my bank, and yeah. uh, I wouldn't know what the difference is. But 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 people can still be loyal to brands, and they can still have preferences for brands. And so, for a brand manager, the biggest problem is not convincing people that you are better, but actually getting people to even think of you at all. So memory is terribly important, and this is why this thing mental availability. It's not about convincing people to have to have an attitude. It's not about being top of mind in a brand image survey or something. It's about overall the buying chance, the chances that people could buy you. Do they think of you? Do they notice you on shelf? How often do they notice you on shelf? How many milliseconds does it take them to notice you on shelf? Hmm. Uh, you know, when they're scrolling through a, a social media feed, do they see you and and know that it's you. And this all depends on what people have between their ears, their brain, their memories, everything. And all advertising, it's pretty uncontroversial that advertising works through memory. Without memory advertising really just cannot work. And so marketing science has um I think massively increased our um uh attention to to memory, which was almost not mentioned for for in the last century. Textbooks hardly mentioned memory at all. There was just this sort of slight thing of, oh, yes, you have to build brand awareness, which sounded like something you did when you were starting out. And, you know, a brand mm-hmm. like Coca-Cola today, wouldn't have to worry about that anymore, which is nonsense. A uh, brand like yeah. Coca-Cola is in a daily fight with all the other things that you can pay attention to. For sure. And so, yes, uh, always on because people are always, every day someone buys from you and you never quite know when that person is going to do that uh so you should always be on and and that is absolutely true for for physical availability too um you know obviously we don't want to have any days that are the the doors of the store are closed no and so that applies for things too like search advertising you don't do a search advertising campaign and then stop Because every day someone is typing in. You have to be, that sort of physical availability that people can get to you has to be there all the time.
0: Right. Advertising
1: doesn't have to be because people have memories, but it is still, there's still, the evidence is really compelling. Your advertising works best if you spread it out rather than bunch it together.
0: Yeah. And I guess memories can take time to like really create strong memories and also if you're not there, your customers will create new memories with new brands, so you need to remind them about you as well. You cannot make a great work and then stop because then new new memories will be created.
1: Yes, um people's memories are amazingly good at lasting. They're still in people's heads, but it doesn't mean they're fresh and accessible. It's like if mm. I if I turned on the radio now and played a song and then I asked, I don't know. The song is by, I don't know, The Rolling Stones <laughs> or something. And then I asked you to sing uh, Taylor Swift's Antihero, which I – Yeah, you, you, It's really It's very easy to do if the radio is not playing. But if another song is playing, it's really hard to pull it out of your memory. And yeah. this is what psychologists call competitive memory effects. And so that's the danger of if, if I'm not advertising – people still – People still know my brand exists. I can do my brand tracking and they'll tell me that they all know I'm here. But no, other other brands advertising is forming a competition. And so they're just finding it just a little bit harder to think of me, which they would not yeah. notice and would not care about.
0: Exactly. I mean, brand awareness also is one thing, but also being chosen, being preferred is another thing, right?
1: Well, yeah, it's not so much a preference. It's about that that's the one that I... You know, that's the one that I thought of today. I mean, how many soft drinks are in your head? So many. So um, many. You enter the cafe and you think, uh, the big decision is, will I have a soft drink? Yeah. You go, uh, Yes. And then you decide on the brand in, in seconds.
0: So true. So this podcast name is Influencer Marketing Talks. So we tend to talk quite much about Influence Marketing. How do you view Influence Marketing? Is that a good way to b- build brand memories, you think? Or what's your view of the channel?
1: I was reflecting that it's a very old form of marketing. It probably predates media. Right?
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's been it's, around for as long it, as humans have been alive. I mean, we'll listen yeah. to other people peer-to-peer.
1: And, and we always wanted the king or queen to, you know, um, I don't know wear our sort of clothes, we're, you know, the clothing that we made or our shoes or uh, buy yeah. our breed of horse or something like that that is <laughs> yeah. uh, demonstrated. And that happens today in the you know the, the Academy Awards. They have the big, you know, the red carpet and lots of fashion designers donate their clothes to celebrities, you know, yeah. hoping that they will mention them on the carpet. Um, the big change in recent times has been um, online video has allowed – um, people to influence other people by by creating tutorials. Really, I mean, it's tutorials. You know, how to repair a coffee machine, uh, how to change a tire, mm. or particularly how to put on makeup. Uh, and yeah. so, this was a new thing. This is this was uh, you know, particularly a lot of teenage girls really did not want their mum teaching them how to put makeup on or their older sister, and they loved the fact that who'd gone to YouTube, and and other people would would do that too. There's a change that we didn't realize there was that need out there.
0: Yeah, and it's growing. I mean, just look at TikTok. It's instead of going searching on Google, you go searching on TikTok to find, as you mentioned, makeup, but even restaurants or how-to tutorials, DIY projects, everything is on there. And these platforms, they're playing a bigger and bigger role in our lives.
1: I think it's particularly when we don't, when we need that sort of tutorial thing, that people yeah. will pay some attention. Mind you, they stop doing it once they learn. I was talking to my daughter and she said, yes, she used to follow a lot of, um, she would follow dermatologists for skincare and she would follow um, professional makeup artists for uh, for makeup. But she doesn't really now because she knows how.
0: Now she has a new interest. She's yeah. full of some new influencers. Yes. And another note, you have mentioned that most marketers have little trouble showing the short-term effects of tactics like price promotion or search advertising, but that the industry still struggles to show the payoff when it comes to long-term investments. So I guess this is the never-ending dilemma for marketers trying to find the right balance between branding, performance. It's it's no news. But is there any advice that you can give to help brands find the right mix of these two?
1: Well, one is your physical availability, being able to be bought that when someone goes looking for you, whether that's on a screen or on a, in a store or something that you're there and easy to find. And you need to do that all the time. And you want to invest money into that until the point where you stop getting a return. It's very easy to see. You see the effects immediately. Uh, if you switch off if you switch off your if you if you stop paying money to Amazon so that you you know your your brand comes up in the store you see the sales drop immediately it's just exactly like closing the doors on a store you see the drop immediately right and so this is lovely we can measure that we can also see where at a certain point giving more money to Amazon or to Google it just there's no return you know you've bought all the search terms that are relevant to your product, you've made your ad come up, you know, you can have another one there on the page, but it doesn't do anything. We've known this for a long time in store, you know, really big brands like Coca-Cola could, you know, say, you know, we should have another facing, we should have another facing, given how much you sell it and the stores. You know, it doesn't do anything. They add another facing and they don't get any more sales. So at that point you stop spending on that. So that's really easy to work out. Yeah. That's fine.
0: I need the tipping points.
1: Now, how much you spend on advertising is a completely different thing because advertising is about the future. The the effects are spread very, very small. Uh, This is a forecasting decision. This has nothing to do with how much you spend on the other stuff. So there is no ratio. As everyone knows, we need advertising. We cannot just rely on hoping that we'll pop the product into the store and then it will just, you know, people will see it and it will sell because Mm. we're... Every consumer goods company in the world knows they've done that and had terrible failures. So we need advertising. We need to reach. There are new children coming into the category every day. We need to reach them and get into their heads. And How much we spend on that and how we do it is a forecasting question, and we have to say, what's the future of our brand going to be? Now, if you think a brand doesn't really have that much of a future, then you don't spend very much on advertising. If you think, no, I think my brand could really be much bigger, it has a fantastic future, then you spend more on advertising. And that's how you convince your chief financial officer who really does understand investment. Chief financial officers know everything about investment, and they know about risk, and they know about payoffs happening in a long time. So you use metrics to show you're doing better at advertising, but the amount that you spend on advertising is a forecasting question. It's about the company's bet on the future and the same reason why the company went into business in the first place. So it is a really yeah. completely different thing. And so for people who ask how much should I be spending on performance versus advertising? Yeah. That's a really silly question. It's it's that's like awesome. the old thing of how much should I spend on sales reps who've gone out and visit the stores versus advertising? And you go, well, you need both of them. Yeah. And then you're yeah. in more stores. You'll probably be spending more on advertising.
0: I read a recent survey, it was from Deloitte, and it said that I think it was 97% of CMOs felt that they don't have the significant impact in the C-suite, like in the strategic decisions. They don't yes. have the confidence to yes. to be part in the boardroom in these decisions. Yes. Um, and this creates a problem when we talk about what you just said. Like, in the I, I, I mean,
1: part of the session. reason is because they... they- shoot themselves in the foot they say if you give me this money i will uh make the sales go up seven percent next year and the cfo goes right. really okay all right i'll do that and then yeah it's really yeah. silly and then when the sales go up even if they achieve that the cfo goes oh i don't know if it was your advertising because you're taking mm-hmm. credit for that the sales director's taking credit the innovation director's taking credit for you know right it's a silly thing yeah, I would say people becomes, in the people yeah. who run the factory don't say give me this new machine and you'll get five percent more market share. They say so give me this new do, machine okay? and you'll have less wastage. Uh, the cost. You know, you think of metrics that are appropriate for you. So for advertising, it's if we have this money, we will reach this many more people.
0: Right. It's quite
1: hard, but. But yeah, if you say to the course. CFO, "Right, you you would like five percent growth?" Well, that means twelve million more households must buy us next year. Therefore, I want advertising that at least reaches twelve million more households. And mm-hmm. the CFO will go, "Oh, well, yes, I can see. You're going to need that, aren't you?"
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: But certainly, we have a we have a problem of undereducated uh, chief marketing officers. Uh, I can tell you a story without without disclosing names. But just before the pandemic, I was introduced to the new chief marketing officer of a very large American consumer products company. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And three days before I arrived in this American city, um, the the business analyst people briefed the CMO on my book, How Brands Grow, and some of these fundamental things, which he thought was terribly interesting. And then when I came and met him, I thought, why don't, you just got this job. You got this job without knowing these things.
0: Mm-hmm. That,
1: that will not happen in 20 years' time. There's no way that someone would be allowed to be appointed into that job not knowing those things. So.
0: I guess then we will also have more help from AI helping us know these things. I mean, with the technology developments that are right now. We will
1: AI to- will be very useful of getting rid of... Those mundane jobs in marketing, the the social media sweatshops will be replaced by AI.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting to see the marketing developments. What will happen?
1: We might need all those poor young people who've just come out of university and find themselves glued <laughs> to a computer, being told to you've got to put out three tw- you've got to put three out <laughs> three tweets and two Instagram posts today.
0: Exactly. That will be
1: that will be replaced by AI
0: for sure. Finally, great discussion. If you. Are to summarize what we have talked about and what you think is the most important for the brands and the marketers and the CMOS who are listening right now. What would that be if you were to give one advice? The marketing
1: is finally joining the scientific revolution. There is such things as evidence based marketing, and uh, we the, the words I would love to ban from marketing conversation is, is things like, "Well, I believe." It should not be, well, I believe. It should be, well, I know or I've seen the evidence. I, yeah. I'm not, not I feel.
0: I agree. I agree. We're getting close, closer to that, especially in our channel. A couple of years ago, it was a lot based on gut feeling. Yes. I felt that this was great content or my daughter loved this, so it must be great. Yes. But yeah, there is so much data available and so much more tools and knowledge for us to use.
1: I love pointing out to people that the real world is a very weird place. And, um, you know, when people talk yeah. about our scientific discoveries as being very surprising, I say, well, yes, that's what science does. It, mm-hmm. it, it tells us about this very weird world. Yeah. That's why we should never go on gut feeling, and I feel, because we're usually very wrong.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not a rational place, and we're not rational human beings. So it makes sense in the end. Yes. Let's finish on this note. I think that's the perfect point to end our conversation. Thank you so much, Byron. It's been great talking to you. And thank you so much for taking the time.
1: It's a pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: Okay, this was such a fun episode to record. Little did I know when I read Byron's book back in university that 10 years later, we would record a podcast episode together. The 22-year-old me would be so starstruck. Thank you so much for joining us for this 100th episode of Influencer Marketing Talks. Make sure you follow us for another 100 episodes by hitting the subscribe button. Thank you all for listening.